Welcome to East Shore. For those who are new, my name is Tom Sylvia, the associate pastor here. One of the things we do here at East Shore is we believe strongly in expositional preaching. What does this mean? Well, I say it every week whenever I fill the pulpit. It means that we pick a text and we go through that text seeking what is the original intention that why the author wrote what he wrote and how does it point us to the cross. So we're going currently through one chapter. We're not necessarily doing a book, but we're doing a chapter. And that's Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible. If you want to know more about this psalm, you can check out the past two sermons that are online where we go into a little bit more. But I'm not going to do much of an intro today. However, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 119, verses 33 through 48. That's verses 33 through 48. And if you do not have a Bible, then there's going to be one in one of the chairbacks in front of you, and that's on page, will be on page 607. So page 607. And the two stanzas we're going to be covering today are the He and Vav stanzas. Now, I know those are W's on the screen, but in Hebrew, it's Vav. They're V sounds. Why do we do that? I have no idea. Uh, but they're V's. Um, and normally, I'm going to tell you, historically, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a minute to get there, and then we're going to read. And my historical minute has been like five seconds. So now you're getting an official minute because I need a glass or a drink of water. So go ahead and turn there, and then we're about to read. All right, now I'm ready. So if you're there, please stand with us as we read. Psalm 119, 33 through 48. I'll be reading from the ESV. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness gives me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hand toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. You can be seated. Let me pray. Father, we all just say thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being redeemed by the blood of your Son. You calling us out of darkness and into light. And here we are, your bride. Thank you for such a privilege. And Lord, as I stand before your bride, 
Give me, dear Lord, just the words to speak your word so that we all here can be washed by your word. Lord, we give this whole time to you. Give us understanding of your word. Lead us, Lord, in the path of your commandments. Help us to obey your law forever and ever. And give us, each one of us, a longing for your precepts. Make your rules clear. We love you and we desperately need you. Amen. Amen. All right. So these two stanzas that we are about to continue to unpack have been by far my favorite two stanzas in Psalm 119. They've been just a kind of a breath of fresh air because going through 180 verses about God's word and coming up week in and week out is kind of, it can be difficult. John and I have talked about, ooh, this is a tough passage. And this was spawned by a man named Thomas Manton in the 17th century who preached over 180 sermons on this chapter. And so it's, it's definitely difficult. But what made this one my favorite is because I took verses 33 through 40 just in the form of a prayer. And I've been able to pray this, these portions of the psalm back to the Lord almost daily. Uh, and it's been such an encouragement to me, to me. And I hope as I go through this, it'll be an encouragement to you. And I hope to be able to pass that on to you this morning. Okay. The praying of Scripture is one of the greatest pleasures we have on this side of heaven. So let's be able to enjoy that. So today I'm going to have two points. One point for each stanza. Two points. My first point is we must depend on the Lord to understand the Scriptures. And the second point is we must depend on the Scriptures to live for the Lord. So let's begin with the first one. We must depend on the Lord to understand the Scriptures. I've already said I've, this psalm has become a prayer for me. So let me, let me listen to some of these requests that David is making. Verse 33, Teach me, O Lord. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Verse 34, give me understanding. For what, Lord? That I may keep your law. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Each of these lines of these verses is a plea to God. God, help me understand your word. I need your word. I need your help. And that is what I've been praying because each of these verses are a petition requesting help in understanding the Scriptures. The, David knows he needs God to do so. He knows that to try to understand the mind of the eternal God without the guidance of His infinite wisdom is a fool's errand. We are absolutely dependent on God in this area. If you understand the Scriptures then that is only because God gave you the ability to understand them. Before you believed in Jesus, when you were an unbeliever, not only did you not understand the Scriptures, but you could not understand them. And if we could not understand them before, how much more so do we need the Lord to continue to give us this enlightenment? It is through faith that our minds are renewed, that we are given the mind of Christ, 
that allows us to be enlightened into the mysteries of His Word. Just because someone can read the words of the Bible does not mean that they understand the meaning of the Bible. It's not a simple Dr. Seuss book. Understanding the biblical text requires more illumination than the human flesh can give. So let me give you some examples of this and also just let you know that this isn't new, but this is what Christians have historically always believed. Let me give you some examples here. Augustine, this is Augustine's quote, 1700 years ago, unless you have believed, you will not understand. Wilhelmus Brockel, one of my favorite Dutch theologians, 17th century, 16th century, man's intellect and reason have too many limitations due to sin and therefore are not capable of penetrating the lofty mysteries of the divine word. You may have heard someone quote John 3.16 and their ability to summarize that verse like this. Oh, this is what John 3.16 says. Jesus came to die for our sins and in order to go to heaven, then you have to believe in Him. Boom. I, I get it. They understand the Scriptures, don't they? You, they would argue that they would. However, to understand a few words within John 3.16, they have missed the full point. They have totally misunderstood the message and its application. They have missed repentance, which is in the verse. They have no understanding of forsaking sin and submission to a sovereign Lord, which happens a few verses later. They have no idea of their need for regeneration, which appears a few verses prior to 3.16. Nor do they understand God's justice, which is also within that context. That was Jesus' whole point. Talking to the teacher of Israel. What does he say? Oh, you teacher of Israel, you don't understand this? The greatest teacher in Israel of the time missed the Scriptures. He couldn't understand. And ultimately, if someone that just quotes John 3.16 haphazardly like this, if they understood, they would believe. If they understood, they would believe. Have you ever been cooking on a stovetop and that thing gets nice, pretty red? And you have a little child walk up and they see that nice, pretty red stovetop and their hand gets inching towards the stovetop. What do you do? Don't touch that. It's going to burn you. Okay, kid backs off for a little bit. Maybe, maybe within five minutes, maybe another day, maybe another month, that stovetop gets nice, pretty red and there's no parent there to stop them. What does curiosity do with, with the child? They touch. And what happens? They jerk their hand back. They begin to scream and to cry because of the pain of the heat. Now they understand it's hot. And guess what the child never does again? The child never touches the stovetop again. For if the child truly understood, don't touch the stovetop, it's hot, it will burn you, the child would not have touched it. The same is true with unbelief. Now, let me give you some biblical references to back up this point so that we understand our great dependence on the Lord to understand the Scriptures. Now, the most obvious example in the Scriptures of human nature not being able to understand is the Pharisees themselves. Masters of the law could quote all five books of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. They could quote those at a moment's notice and use them 
for any occasion or mean. They taught the Scriptures, but yet what do we learn from Jesus and His interaction with them? They totally missed the point of the Scriptures. Listen to Paul. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It doesn't get more explicit than this. Verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You cannot get more clear than that. No one is, or he, the spiritual, the natural person, the person in the flesh, is not able to understand them. Why can we? Why does Paul, how does Paul say we can? Because we have the mind of Christ. Regeneration. Behold, the new has come, the old is gone. Who wrote the Scriptures? The Spirit of God wrote them. That is the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit wrote them, that means the natural man cannot understand them. Because the, man, the natural man is natural and the Holy Spirit is spiritual. But we have been born again. Once again, going back to the John 3.16 passage, is all about being born again. A new mind. And then what is Paul, since we are born from above, we are born again, we are saved through faith. What does Paul say? How does Paul's prayers continue to go when he speaks to his churches? Let me give you a line from Colossians 1.9. And so, this is Paul talking to the Colossian church. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what to the Lord, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's doing this to all of his churches. He's not praying that their churches grow in the natural world's knowledge, but into the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Because the spiritual knowledge and assistance comes from our God, our Savior. He understands that praying for spiritual discernment is the requirement for understanding of the Scriptures. Let me give you some just examples from church history. Athanasius, one of the church fathers. Now, church father is just a term to refer to any church leader prior to the 7th century. But Athanasius lived in the 4th century. He was the predominant theologian that battled the heretical teaching of the Arians. Arianism. What is Arianism? Arianism is the belief that Jesus is not God, but was just the first created being, and He is the supreme being. Your modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses have a similar belief to this. Okay? They just believe, literally, Jesus is God's Son, just like a father has a son. Okay? And Athanasius, what was he doing to combat Arianism? He was writing letter after letter, confronting the Arians, writing it directly. When, back then, when they're writing letters, when leaders are writing letters, everybody, are re everybody is reading these letters. Consider it like an internet blog where everybody is, has access to reading these letters. So all the Arians are reading Athanasius, and Athanasius is quoting scriptures that clearly prove Jesus is divine. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
And he quoted ones like John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. That is Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. You cannot get more clear than these two verses. And there are so many others. If you go back and read Athanasius' letters where he is going and going and going and proving the deity of the Son and the eternal triune God. But what was happening on the Aryan side? Well, just like when you talk to a modern-day Jehovah's Witness, you say things like, Jesus is God's Son. They nod their head, absolutely. Absolutely, but they're using human wisdom. And they're saying, yes, Jesus is literally a descendant created of the Father. The Arians were doing the same thing. And they would never understand. Why is that? Why is this? Because they weren't born again. You have to believe in order to understand St. Augustine. Every When you want to look into the early church and all the church heresies, every one of them starts the same way. A dependence on human interpretation. And the same is true today. What leads to a false belief? Human interpretation. If you want to experience the love of Christ as revealed in His Word, then you must believe. And once you believe then you'll understand the Scriptures. Then you'll be able to grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures. That is what this stanza, these verses 33-40, through 40, is all about. One's growing in the knowledge of God through the Scriptures. And he, David knows he cannot do this on his own, so he is seeking the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. You've enlightened my mind. Continue to grow my mind. And so I'm going to give you, with that backdrop, I'm going to give you four ways to grow in the knowledge of the Scriptures. And these four ways assume you've been born again. Okay? So, we got to remember when we depend on God, it is not passive, but active. Let me give you the four ways. The first way that I see in this text is to commune with God through the Holy Spirit in prayer. This is first on my list because it is of most importance and I'm not going to spend much time on it. I've already given you that. When you look at the verbs in, these first, in these, this stanza, look how many verbs are a request to understand the Scriptures. Almost every one of them. Every one of them. And so when you come and you approach the Scriptures, what do you do? Do you just begin to open and to read your Bible in your daily quiet time? I commend it. But what I would am challenging you to do before you open your word and begin to read is pray for help in understanding what you're about to read. Before you read Matthew, before you read 1 Samuel or Revelation, seek God in prayer. Say, Lord, help me to understand what I'm about to read. After you've read your assigned text, pray back to God. Lord, help me understand these words. Give me illumination as I live through, go throughout this day and showing me what these words mean and how they point to your gospel. That is one of the reasons we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. So use Him. Let Him guide you into all truth. Let me give you my second way that I see in this text. Be actively engaged in the church's ministries of the Word. Verse 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. 
I'm intentionally adding that phrase, ministries of the word. Because we have some ministries a part of Eshore that are not focused on the word, but they are focused on the deeds of the word. And those are wonderful ministries, and we need every one of you to be a part of those as well. But don't hear me minimize the ministry of the deeds. The ministry of the deeds are an outflow of the ministry of the word. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends the church. The Father sent the Son to what? Speak His words to us. And Jesus has sent His church to do what? To proclaim His words to the world. The church's primary ministry, our primary ministry is that of the Word. So make sure you are participating in those ministries. Many of you soap. And some of you are like, what is soap? Well, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. You have a little group, and you read texts together, and you make these observations together, and you share them with one another, and you're growing with one another in the Word. So if you're doing that, invite others to be a part of it. And if you're not, get involved. And when you are soaping with one another... I know you send out your observations and you send out your application, but there's a good chance at one point or another it's going to be wrong. And so those who are seeing that, friendly, godly, challenge challenge them to their interpretation so that you can confirm to the Lord's servant the gospel. So seek the feedback along with it. Ask if your interpretation is correct. Another way we have that, we have Sunday school classes. Be a part of them. We call it school for a reason. We come to school to learn about Christ through His Word. Do not let school deter you from coming, for we are Christians and are called to be lifelong students of the Word. We're all theologians. As R.C. Sproul says, just how good of a theologian are you going to be? Come and learn and take every opportunity to feast on the Word of God. We also have HFGs. These are our home fellowship fellowship groups. That's our fancy way of saying small groups. The HFG discussions are centered on the Word. Exposit them together. If you find a passage you're unsure about, study it together. Figure out its meaning so that you can receive the life that is held within it. You may have thought or heard someone say, I don't need the church. I have the scriptures and that is enough. That could not be farther from the truth. They might have the scriptures, but they have not read them. For we are part of a body. And if each one of us tries to live without the body, we will wither away. So get involved in the church and the ministries of the word. Let me give you a third way that we grow. Is you can read theologically sound books that teach Scripture. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9, and 13. This is Paul speaking to, as he uh, is this his final ever. He's about to die, and he's writing to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. Talking to Timothy, come to me. When you come, bring the cloak that I left it with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Paul's about to die. But what does he ask of Timothy? He still needs his books. There's a wealth of treasures 
penned from the hands of saints that have lived before us and have lived among us today. Use them. They can help you further your understanding of the Scriptures. They're obviously not divinely inspired like the Scriptures, but they were written for our edifications. There's reasons that Augustine's writings have survived 1,700 years and how thousands and thousands of brothers and sisters have grown through his writings. There's reasons Thomas Aquinas' writings have survived. There's reasons we all know about C.S. Lewis. They are men of, men of great wisdom and stature, and they know their scriptures. Learn from them. I've already mentioned that we need the body of Christ to grow in Christ. But the body of Christ is not just limited to those who are alive and breathing, but it considers the whole church, all of the church throughout history. We have resources in the back at the Resource Center with over 50 different topics. It's simple, easy to read, and they're free. Topics like God's love, is God listening, and many others. Go back and read them. Use them. If you're new to the study of theology, start there. And then also on your notes, you should have two publishers on the top of your handouts. And those publishers have released series. Check out those series. They're for just the average ordinary layperson that doesn't have a degree in theology to help you grow in theology. Take advantage of them. And you're like, man, I just don't want to read. Don't worry. We've got that for you because it's called audiobooks. Man, technology is wonderful. My point is, if you're not a book reader, that's okay. My point is that you need to be learning and gleaning from the resources that the church has created. The study of God will help you do wonders in understanding the Scriptures. Let me give you the fourth way to understand the Scriptures that we can see how the Lord answers prayer requests such as David. And I cannot stress this one enough. Find someone to disciple you. Find someone to disciple you. Have someone, and you find that person to meet with either weekly, bi-weekly, or once a month. Just create a regular pattern of meeting to learn and to go through the Scriptures with. Let me read from you Acts chapter 8, verses 27 through 31. And he rose and went. And this is Philip. Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And when he was reading the prophet Isaiah, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. (laughs) So Philip ran to meet him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Listen to the reply. And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. How can I unless someone guides me? The Ethiopian eunuch isn't the only one who needs guided. We all do. Jesus intentionally made his last command a command to disciple because discipleship is the best way to produce a mature, biblically saturated follower of Christ. Discipleship is a journey, and like all journeys, they are better if experienced with another. Now, I love chess. I really do enjoy chess. And for the past, I don't know, 
three months or so, my family with the kids and I, we've been playing a lot of chess. And I've been teaching them. They didn't know how to play. And I've been teaching them all the strategies and basic fundamentals of the game. And they've been slowly doing really, really well. And we aligned up a game to play my, my mom. And my mom, their grandma, she, she knows how to move the pieces. And she knows how the object of the game and how to win those things. But she's never been trained or anything like that. And so they played my mom. And guess what happened? They beat her. They beat her. Why did they beat her? Because I coached them on how to play. See, how long, let's ask that question, how long would it have taken my kids to be able to beat a, a player like my mom without being coached? It would have taken them a long time. A long time. I mean, being trained allows you to excel. This principle applies all over. The world applies this principle. Take it to your job. You hire two new employees. Your company hires two new employees. They put one with a seasoned coworker, and then they tell the other one to fake it until they make it. They come back in two, two months, these two new hirees put them side by side. Which one's going to do better at their job? The one that was trained. The same applies to your walk in Christ. If you want to grow, then you need to seek guidance from a more mature believer. You will go leaps and bounds farther than the little steps you will take on your own. We have opportunities here at East Shore to get you discipled. If you want to take that next step, then you just simply need to reach out to any of the pastors. We will get you taken care of. In summary, we pray this text, Lord, give me understanding. Lord, help me to know your word. The Lord will answer. And the Lord has already given us means to grow in our understanding. He's done that in the four ways I've summarized. And there are many others. Many others. But prayer, church, reading, and discipleship are pivotal to your growth. We could go further on, but I'm going to try and cover both stanzas. So let's look at the next stanza, which is my second point. And this stanza, the, the first stanza, the point that we must depend on the Lord to understand the Scriptures, naturally bleeds into this following stanza because it's all about living for the Lord. Because we must depend on the Scriptures to live for the Lord. Do you see how it's working? We need you, Lord, to understand your scriptures. And now I want to live for you, but I cannot live for you unless I know your scriptures. It's an all-consuming relationship, an all-dependent relationship on Christ. And that is intentional. So let's look at the second point. And you know what? This is my Spurgeon reference in honor of uh, Pastor John. If you're new here, I mean, I'm pretty sure he, he brings out like I don't know, 100 Spurgeon references every week. So he's, he's Spurgeon strong. Uh, but Spurgeon was once asked a, a question. What's more important, praying to God or reading the Word of God? And he just responded with, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? And perhaps you've heard that statement. You may be the only Bible someone ever reads. But... If you do not read it, then you cannot exemplify it. Just as prayer is important, so is reading. So, let me, I'm going to give you two reasons why we must depend on the Scriptures to live from the Lord. 
And the first reason is we must depend on the Scriptures in order to respond to an unbelieving world. Read verse 42. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. When the world barrages us with insults, where is our refuge? It's Christ. Psalm 139.14 I praise You, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are Your works. My soul knows it very well. I don't care what the world calls me or what they think of me, for I have Your Scriptures. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I can respond to the world because of the Scriptures. When the world teaches the lies of evolution or the non-existence of God or the freedom of one's sexuality or that they are the master of their own fate, where is our truth? How are we going to be able to remain standing and to respond to the world? Isaiah 45, 5-7 I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light. I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The world, God does not exist He's a spaghetti monster in the sky. What is the one? I am the Lord, the God. There is no other. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I can respond because I have the Scriptures. The world might have the testimony of 800 or 8 billion people, but we have the testimony of the one infinite God. Stand with Him. Let's go back to another church history reference. When the, when the Christians in the first century were being persecuted, I'm sorry, the second century, were being persecuted for their faith, many responded with endurance. And when the church father, Justin Martyr, you can also read his writings, was making this plea to the Roman government to stop the Christian uh, persecution, this is what he said. This is, was part of his letter to the, the Roman officials. Reckon that it is for your sakes we have been saying these things, for it is in our power when we are examined to deny that we are Christians, but we would not live by telling a lie. For impelled by the desire of the eternal and pure life, we seek the abode that is with God and the Father and Creator of all, and hasten to confess our faith. Justin's like, oh yeah, we can most certainly lie and say we're not Christians, but our desire to obey a God of far more worth, we're never going to deny our Lord. We have the Scriptures. We've read the Scriptures. We're willing to suffer. We're willing to let these officials come to our house to threaten us with their lives to say, if you do not forsake your faith, we will take your life. We say, Christ is my life. To live to live, to, ah, to live is freedom. To die is gain. I misquoted that. Ah, but we've, they had chapters like Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
See the first, those Christians being uh, persecuted throughout all church history. They knew their reward was great. They knew the glory of Christ far outweighs any glory or contentment that can be offered by the world. Why? Because they had the promises of Scripture that they were able to live for the Lord in those times. And it's also, it's really important to note in times of persecution that not all who claimed to be Christian were able to, to persevere. Every time somebody knocked on that door, there are many, many testimonies that we learned from the fathers where, the, where the, the, the soldiers came, deny Christ. They said, okay, I'm not a Christian. And you know what? They preserved their own lives. They forsook, they forsook the Scriptures and stayed true to themselves. They, didn't, they might have known of a verse like Matthew, but they didn't understand it. They didn't believe in it. Or they might have not known it at all. But there are many, many that, de- that deny the Lord in persecution. The world will come after us as they did the prophets, as they did our Lord, as they've done with our brothers and sisters, even today, how they have gone after our brothers and sisters. And if you want to respond well, you must know your Scriptures. Depend on them. My second reason, we must depend on the Scriptures to be free in Christ. Verse 45, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Our author is using imagery here. And it's for those who hope in God, walk in a wide place. He's describing freedom here. The idea is that knowing and following the Scriptures is similar to walking in an open field. There's freedom. You can, you're free to run. You're free to breathe. You're free to rest. You see everything. There's just, just go sit in a field and just sit. You'll experience that refreshment that he's referring to. And that's the following of the Scriptures. So what's the opposite? What's, what does it mean to not know the Scriptures? Well, it's like walking in a narrow path. Compressed. No room to believe. You cannot relax. Not, you don't know what's going on in the distance. You can't really run to the left or the right, straight or forward, because you'll hit a wall. There's no freedom there. There's tension. There's stress. You can't really even rest. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he sums it up very well. The service of sin is perfect slavery, and the service of God is perfect liberty. And we have an example of this kind of man in our Scriptures. It's in the book of Judges. And you may recall in Judges chapter 11 and 12, the story about the judge named Jephthah. Jephthah was a judge of Israel that led the, 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 the Gilead to fight off the Ammonites. And before the battle, Jephthah made a vow to God. He said, Lord, give me victory here. And if you give me victory, then whatever walks out of my home, I will offer as a sacrifice to you. That's what, that's what Jephthah says. That's how he's pleading to the Lord. And what happens when we read the story? Well, the Lord gave them victory over Gilead. Or gave the victory to Gilead over the Ammonites. And what does Jephthah say? Oh, Lord, you're so good. He goes home. What, who walks out of the door? His only daughter. 
doesn't have ten daughters. He doesn't have ten sons. He has one child, one daughter. And what happens in the story? He follows through with the act. He says, Lord, if you give me victory, I will offer up as a burnt offering to you. And unfortunately, he, he follows through with it. He sacrifices his daughter. Because according to Jephthah, he could not break a vow that was made to the Lord. He couldn't do it. But if he knew his scriptures, he would have had freedom. If he knew his scriptures, he would have known about Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4-6. through six. I'm not going to read it, but it speaks to the very issue of Jephthah. What does it say? When a fool makes such a rash oath, the oath itself is sin. And the oath itself must have a sacrifice. So basically, the Scriptures are saying Jephthah, his very harsh and pathetic oath wasn't even an oath at all. There was no vow he made to the Lord, but it was sin, just a sinful speech. The Lord did not accept the vow. The Lord did not give him victory because of the vow. The Lord simply gave him victory because that's what the Lord wanted to do. And if Jephthah knew the Scriptures, he could have come home to his daughter, given her a hug, and celebrated with her the victory that the Lord was gracious to provide. But Jephthah didn't know his Scriptures. And so he was bound, walking in a narrow path. Ignorance of the Scriptures isn't bliss. Jephthah thought he was put in the corner, and a heavy burden was upon him. And perhaps I've met many people alive today that have come and sought out advice that are telling me that they're going to make decision A or decision B because they feel like they have no choice, that the Lord is calling them or making them do such a thing when it's all due to the fact that there's an ignorance of the Scripture and the Lord is not saying any such thing. Read your Scriptures. Read your Scriptures. God has given, given you understanding so continue to use his means to grow in that understanding so that you can best serve him. Are you using them? For we must depend on the scriptures in order to live for the Lord. This is a mighty grace that we have been given. Take full advantage of them because that is what our King David is doing in this psalm. Lord, I need to take full advantage of your scriptures so that I can just live. Help me, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord. So, you have some wisdom. Follow through. There's your application for today. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing a song of response. Father, thank You, Lord, that You have given us Your Scriptures. Thank You, Lord, that You have just given us psalm after psalm, narrative after narrative, story about just the saints who have come before us. Thank you for examples such as Abraham, such as Moses, of Elijah and Elisha. Thank you for the examples of disciples. Thank you for our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, who you have just raised up. And Lord, as you have just given us a renewed mind and you have regenerated us, Lord, that you have given us the mind of Christ, your Son, may we, Lord, be humble, be humbled to pursue your works, your mind, your word through your means. Lord, it is our prayer to all of us here today 
that we grow in the knowledge of your scriptures so that we can better live in your glory and the freedom of your word in serving you. And Lord, if there is someone here that does not know your word, we ask, Lord, that you open up their minds, that you give them a renewed heart, and that they believe so that they too can understand the joy that comes from your word. We love you, Lord. Amen.